And welcome to the Convex Conversation with me, journalist Helen Fospero. This week's guest caught my eye on socials, dramatic images and breathtaking footage of her climbing steep, sheer vertical rock faces, often with bare hands, in some of the most challenging and stunning mountain ranges on earth, and with what appears to be very little in the way of ropes and equipment. Hazel Findlay has been climbing for 27 of her 33 years, starting with traditional climbing on the limestone sea cliffs of Pembrokeshire. Now she's an elite full-time free climber, known in the climbing fraternity for putting up fast ascents in many countries, including huge walls in Greenland. And she has a lot of prestigious firsts to her name, including being the first British woman to free climb El Capitan in Yosemite in California. Inspired by the mental and psychological challenges of her very physical sport, Hazel trained as a coach and has set up her own business, Strong Mind, to help other athletes overcome their fears and limitations. Hazel, it's so lovely to finally meet you, having talked for a little while to set all of this up. I'm absolutely in awe of what I've seen you do on Instagram. And I just wondered if you could start off by describing for us, in layman's terms, the sort of climbing that you do that I've spotted on your short films and photographs. Yeah, I guess for people who aren't climbers, I guess it's worth distinguishing between rock climbing and mountaineering. So mountains are kind of more snowy usually, although they're often rocky as well. But rock climbing, the thing that really defines it is often how steep it is compared to mountains. Mountains, it's more kind of hiking, walking, maybe scrambling. Whereas the kind of climbing I'm doing, it's usually vertical or steeper or slightly off vertical. There's always this necessity for using your hands and your arms just as much as your feet. I do all sorts of climbing actually. I climb really small boulders as well as big walls, but I think the types of climbing that really inspires me is bigger stuff, things that are going to take a longer time that are really kind of demanding. But I guess that gives a, a bit of a flavour. Oh, it certainly does. And the ones that I've seen you do are the ones that just look to me like a vertical piece of rock with very few places to put your hand and feet. So I've been fascinated by what you have in terms of equipment because it looks like you're just out there on your own with little support at all. Is this free climbing and do you use a few ropes? So this is something that confuses a lot of people because free climbing sounds a bit like you don't use any equipment at all. But free climbing's more like you don't use the equipment to actually help you get upwards right so free climbing is where you might use ropes and equipment you might even use equipment that has already been drilled into the rock and that's called sport climbing where bolts are drilled into the rock and you kind of clip those bolts that are already in there and then you clip your rope into those bolts and that's a lot safer than what you might call traditional or trad climbing, where you actually are responsible for placing your own equipment. And they're usually called nuts or cams. And you sort of jam these pieces of metal into the crack and then you click your own rope into them. And then your partner comes up and takes all of those pieces of equipment out. So the cool thing about trad climbing is that you actually arrive at the rock in its kind of virgin state almost, you know, and you climb up it and you protect the climb and you leave it as you found it. Whereas sport climbing, it relies on other people coming and like kind of like drilling into the rock. And then free climbing, you can do that on sport or trad 
but basically what you're doing is whatever you put into the rock you don't use that to pull yourself up so it's a little bit of an arbitrary rule and it's kind of hard to get your head around if you don't do it but really it comes from this idea that like climbers really enjoy to move over the rock we enjoy to use like the natural features of the rock the the handholds and the footholds that are on the rock rather than putting in some equipment and pulling on it it's almost like a less beautiful way to climb I suppose and when you're climbing I'm imagining that you're 100% focused on what you're doing because safety obviously is paramount but do you get to enjoy the beauty of the rock at all or are you really focused on where that next handhold is or where your foot's going next? I think in general people probably think that climbing's more dangerous than it is like climbing can be very dangerous but it can also be very safe like for example it can be safer than mountain biking I would say and a lot of people go mountain biking or skiing for example so it depends on the style of climbing that you're doing but usually you have some time to enjoy the rock itself and more importantly the views I mean that's the amazing thing about climbing especially in remote locations is that you can get a bird's eye image of where you are right like that you don't usually get if you're just walking in the valleys or whatever so that's the really cool thing about climbing and when you're this tiny dot on the rock face do you look down at all or is it always up and onwards when you're actually in the middle of a climb When you're in the middle of the climb, you break the climb into what we call pitches, which is roughly the length of a rope, right? Because you can't, say you're about to climb a thousand meter rock face. There's no such thing as a thousand meter rope. And if there were, it would be too heavy to ever carry, right? So you usually have like a 60 meter rope. And what you do is you climb like 50, 60 meters and then you stop and you make what's called a belay where you secure yourself to the wall. You bring your partner up and then often you'll change who leads. So when you're belaying your friend up or you're belaying them up at the next pitch, that's when you get this moment to kind of look down, reflect, have a snack. You know, so there are moments throughout the day where you can take in the view. But on the very stressful climbs, it can be easy actually to not take that moment because you're like go 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 but yeah it's nice to remember too for sure (laughs) where are the most beautiful and remote places that you've ever been to and that really stand out in your mind as stunning scenery that perhaps most of us haven't and may never have the opportunity to see well last year I went to Greenland and that was probably one of the more beautiful places I've been because we were climbing a big wall that came directly out of a fjord and there's a huge glacier nearby one of the biggest glaciers in the world just carving huge icebergs into the fjord and so you you know you could see thousands of pieces of ice from very small to very big floating past us in the fjord that was amazing scenery yeah and you could see the ice cap the Greenland ice cap as well from that point too so that was pretty amazing And am I right in thinking that on two of those unclimbed walls in Greenland, you were putting up what you call in the climbing world, first ascents? Yeah, we climbed two walls on that expedition and neither of the walls had been climbed before. And yeah, we reclimbed them. So then as a first ascent, does that mean are you leaving anything in them for future climbers or are you putting what you need in and then taking it away again? On the climbs that we did, the first climb especially, we left certain bolts in there that make the route 
a lot easier for another person to come and do a lot safer and a lot more pleasant basically the second route we didn't leave much at all because we didn't have that equipment which actually made it quite dangerous for us and if someone came and did that climb again they'd almost be having exactly the same experience as us all that they would have that would be different from us is our right up of the ascent so we might be able to say certain things about the climb and where we went that might help them but on a wall that big they'll probably be having a similar experience whereas on the previous wall we left bolts in the climb that you can aim for like little signposts almost and then also like really safely clip yourself into which will make that climb a lot easier for another person. As well as a climber Hazel you strike me as an adventurer and an explorer. How exciting is it when you climb something and you know that nobody's been there before or it's thought that nobody's ever climbed it? So the main thing about doing something first I mean a lot of people sort of chase the prestige of that you know like and I think in mountaineering and climbing there's a bit of this history of planting the flag kind of mentality but the real thing that makes that kind of experience interesting for me personally is just that there's so many unknowns you know when you start a wall like that you don't know what the rock's going to be like. You don't know if you might start up one crack, that crack might end. You know, we've got binoculars and we can look at the wall, but on a wall that big, it's kind of like sort of tunneling into the ground and not knowing where you might get through. It's kind of like that. And you have to make so many choices and every choice could be wrong and cost you days of time. So you're constantly making important decisions that could have quite big consequences. Whereas when you're following where someone else has gone, those decisions aren't as consequential, I suppose. I suppose you've had time to absorb what they've written and take in their experiences and then make your decisions in an informed way based on what they experienced. But the conditions, this isn't just climbing, you're also facing some pretty brutal conditions. Tell me what it was like, what the cold was like, the ice, the fact I think at one point you had to climb with bare fingers in minus six or whatever it was. Try and describe some of that for me if you can. Yeah, you kind of have to climb with bare hands unless it's really easy for you and then you can wear gloves because you just lose a lot of the sensitivity and the friction that your bare skin has and if you wear gloves it can kind of slip and that kind of thing so yeah on the first wall we had already hiked for two weeks up a glacier got to the base of this climb and it was like snowing every day and we were there on an expedition and we were there to make a film as well and you know you only have so much time to do the things you're supposed to do right and also people want to film you so there's quite a lot of pressure there's like 20 people their careers <laughs> years of research have gone into expeditions like this I imagine millions of pounds although I'm not connected to that budget so there's quite a lot of pressure and then it's snowing every day. And if it's snowing outside at home, there's no chance I would go climbing. I'd just stay at home. <laughs> but on an expedition like that, you have to go and just try your best. So yeah, we were climbing in awful conditions. And when your hands get that cold, they just feel like blocks of ice and you, you can't really feel the wall. And then when the blood comes back through, it's really painful and your feet freeze up as well. You also really struggle psychologically when you're that cold. All you can think about is how cold you are rather than like making good risk decisions and stuff like that. So 
yeah, it's really difficult. And then when we topped out, usually when you finish a big climb like that, you make your way back to your house or a hotel or a campsite or something where you can rest and recover for like a week. On this expedition, we then just got into a tent, waited out a snowstorm and then skied for a week across an ice cap and then climbed <sighs> another wall. So oh there was no goodness. rest at all. It was quite an interesting experience because I hadn't done anything like that before. And didn't you have to dodge rocks falling as well? Yeah, so the second wall was extremely loose. It was interesting because the rock itself was really hard. And as a climber, you learn about the different rock types and whether they'll be good quality to climb on or not. And the rock itself was quite hard, but I guess because of so much freeze-thaw action in that environment, it had just broken into thousands and thousands of pieces so you'd get to a ledge and there would just be huge piles of loose rock and it's very difficult when you're climbing and you have a rope attached to you and you're kind of pulling the rope up behind you and you have to bring up your food and water and all of your sleeping equipment and stuff that you don't knock that down and usually there's someone beneath you because you're working in a team so it was really dangerous really dangerous (laughs) and how long did these climbs take how long did it take to get to the top What I guess some people don't understand is that with these climbs, usually what you'll do is you'll create a base camp at the base of the wall and you might climb on the wall for a day or two. And what you'll do is you'll establish what we call fixed lines. So you have a lot of rope with you and you will climb. So you're free climbing to get up there using your hands and feet. And then you might make a belay, a place where you secure yourself. And what you'll do is you bring up some ropes, you'll fix it, you'll abseil back down to the ground, and then you'll go back to your tent and you'll rest and sleep there for the night. And then it's easier to climb the ropes that you've put there in place. It's kind of like a shortcut somehow. And then once you've fixed those lines as high as you can, based on how much rope you've got or just how practical it is, then what you do is you commit to the wall. So we probably, for the first wall, spent about five days sort of going up and down the first half of the wall. Then we committed to the wall and we climbed the whole thing in two days. So we only slept one night on the climb. We did the same for the second wall as well. And we slept one night on the climb as well. But often you can be sleeping on the wall for six nights. Can you? Like Gosh, yeah. I can't imagine what that's like sleeping on the wall. Do you get much sleep when you do that? Is your body and mind so exhausted that you do actually manage to get some proper shut eye? I really love it. I've climbed quite a few big walls, climbed El Capitan in Yosemite quite a few times. And El Cap is about a thousand meters. But the climbs up El Capitan are really difficult technically. So sometimes you can be trying a section, a small 60 meter section of the wall many, many times before you can learn it enough to get through it. The most I've spent on the wall is seven days and you bring what's called portal edges with you, which are kind of like rigid hammocks that you attach to the wall. And I just love it. I think it's the best thing ever. I sleep so well up there. It's sort of like, you know, that feeling you have when you're a kid and you go to your friend's house to sleep over and you're really excited and you might have bunk beds or whatever. It's kind of like that, you know, like you just have this real childlike feeling of I'm somewhere where I shouldn't be, but I'm kind of managing and it's really fun. And also you're exhausted. So you usually sleep pretty well. For you, is it the journey that you enjoy most, the journey and the sleeping out like that? Or is it that moment when you get to the top and you've reached the, I don't know, do you still use the word summit for a wall? Yeah, you do use the word summit for those sorts of things. 
For me, it's mostly about the journey for sure and about the process and about the hard work. But I think that how you feel when you get to the top is usually the summation of that in a way, you know, because if you're doing something that's really difficult and challenging, you are relieved when it's over. I mean, sometimes it's you having so much fun, you don't want it to be over, to be fair. But I think for those things that really make you grow and really challenge you, when you get to the top, you're pretty exhausted and you're like, oh, I couldn't have done another day. Well, as you say, on Greenland, it wasn't the end and you weren't going to a warm (laughs) warm house. You still had lots more to do. And also imagining you now lying in the hammock, that is absolutely at one with nature, isn't it? And that must be really lovely as well, that you're in the middle of often perhaps nowhere in places that many of us haven't seen. There must be, I would imagine, a time then as night falls when it's quite magical and special that there you are hanging on that wall in your hammock. In Greenland, the, the night doesn't come in summer. Oh, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of so you just watch the sun kind of get lower and go up again. So yeah, I had to bring my eye mask with me. (laughs) (laughs) And talking about being at one with nature, you took an ice dip as well, didn't you, in Greenland? What was that like? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I do a bit of cold water swimming at home from time to time. And a lot of my friends are into it. And I just knew that if I didn't do that, if I didn't swim next to an iceberg, I'd probably regret it because you're not going to get another chance. It's important from reading about your new business, which we'll talk about in a minute. I know that it's important that you have a distraction-free mind when you're climbing, and I know that's something you help other climbers achieve. What keeps you focused, and do you struggle to keep focused, or is there just so much to do that it's easy for you? And I know you've been obviously doing it for a long, long time too. If you want to climb at your best, it's important to be focused and you're climbing at your best is kind of synonymous right with being focused on what you're doing like it is for anything else you do in life and stress helps you focus up to a point but then there becomes a point where that stress level is too high and you become distracted so being able to manage that stress response is something that I've learned how to do over the years and is what I help other people do through my business. Tell me a bit about the business because obviously when you climb it's not just physical it's psychological it's mental you need to be strong not just strong body but a really strong mind too. What inspired you to start Strong Mind and what's the aim behind it? From a young age I'd really noticed that it was kind of what was happening inside people's heads that made the real difference between whether they were a good climber or not or between whether they were having fun or not. But no one really talked about it. We always would talk just about how strong your muscles were or how good your technique is or how fit you are. But no one really talked about the fact that some people are just clearly very stressed on the wall and some people manage to stay calm. We have so much in the industry about how to build stronger muscles for climbing but so little about how to stay calm despite the fact that it's such a psychologically demanding sport. Seeing a need in the community that kind of inspired me to do it and also just personal interest. So what do you do? I think you do some online courses don't you? Yeah so it started off just one-to-one coaching mostly either online or in person and then I started running workshops And then I think like many coaches in many industries, the question is sort of, 
how can I expand this beyond my own time, just trading my personal time. So that's when I started the online courses at the start of last year. And they've been really fun to do. And I've been able to reach getting close to hundreds, if not thousands of people with those courses now, which is really cool. And one of the things that you do is help them overcome fear. And I've seen you write about fear of falling. And it's important, isn't it, if you're going to grow and progress as a climber, that you don't see falling as a failure. I'm kind of quoting your words now. How important is that confidence about it's okay to fall? And what do you learn from that? So climbing is an interesting sport because it can be like a metaphor for so many things, right? (laughs) Like it's, you know, it's not about the summit, it's about the journey. Or if you fall, you've got to get yourself back up again and you learn from falling and from failure. And sometimes in climbing, it's not okay to fall because it's dangerous. But many times it's okay to fall and it's safe to fall. And for some people, it's the actual sensation of falling that people find very uncomfortable. And that's to be expected, right? You're literally falling through the air. It's kind of doing like a mini bungee jump every time you fall off a climb, (laughs) right? So that is scary. So a lot of the work I do is actually just helping people with that really primal fear of learning how to be comfortable falling through the air and landing into the rock. But then also I help people with fear of failure, which is a lot more standard, actually. You know, I'm sure that many of the listeners will have experienced fear of failure in their lives. And a lot of the work I do is about redefining what failure and success means to the individuals that come to me. Does falling off have to be a failure or could it be a learning opportunity? Or is falling off actually an indication that you're really pushing your limits? Whereas if you always succeed every climb you try, that's an indication that you're probably not challenging yourself enough, right? And it's the same in life. If you start a business and everything you do is a success and it's all super easy for you, chances are that you don't have big enough ideas, right? That you're not pushing your limits. So it's quite interesting because some of the work I do is really specific to climbing and some of it's actually really broad you know some people who do our courses they say okay it was really good for my climbing but actually I've transferred this knowledge to other areas of my life and I feel much more resilient in those areas and do you still fall I mean I presume you do sometimes yeah yeah no I fall all the time and what does it feel like (laughs) I mean she says as a (laughs) non-climber yeah I mean now I'm just so used to it right that it can just feel as relaxing as the climbing feels, which is not as relaxing as how I feel when I go to bed, but it's about as relaxing as speaking to you now. My heart rates up a little bit. I'm a tiny bit nervous. I want to make sure that what I'm saying makes sense. You know, perhaps you're a tiny little bit nervous when you're speaking too, right? And yeah, that's the okay. adrenaline, isn't yeah. it? Adrenaline coursing through your, your veins. Yeah. And we all f- experience that in the different things that we do. And it's about learning how to manage it and not have it really limit you so yeah I fall a lot and if I'm not falling that's an indication that I'm not trying hard enough for sure just while I think about it physical fitness do you have to train a lot in the gym and do all sorts of other things to support your physical fitness for the climbing yeah I I do a lot of physical training I've also been injured a lot in my life so I'm usually rehabbing something as well Climbing's really hard on the body, especially the fingers and the shoulders. So you've got to do a lot to prevent yourself from getting injured. 
but also just staying strong and fit is important yeah so I'd spend a lot of time in indoor climbing walls we also have a training wall in our house as well and fingers I think fingers are what were injured in 2022 how do you injure your fingers and how do you get them better is it a case of rest when they're sore or bruised or it's more sort of it's, it's the tendons and the pulleys that attach to the tendon that, that often injure in climbing and also the lumbrical muscles as well and you can rest and that is sometimes helpful but it's also a lot about progressive loading because they have to be strong so you can't just rest them and expect them to be where you want them to be you you have to carefully gradually load them through what we call fingerboarding where you actually hang on a little piece of wood (laughs) gosh and this is your full-time role isn't it hazel climbing and your business yeah so i used to be a full-time professional climber and then i added in some coaching and now i'm adding in more coaching i'm definitely juggling more roles now than i have been in the past just take us back a bit because as I said in the introduction I mean you started climbing not that long after you learned to walk (laughs) a couple of years if you like how come you were so young and who inspired you in those childhood days my dad was a climber as well he introduced me to the sport and also adventure in general I probably started climbing when I was like five or six but I was like scrambling around the hills and like caving and swimming in the sea and doing all sorts of things from younger age even than that. So the idea of adventure, we would never like pay to go and do something with our weekends. We would just use like the outdoors as our entertainment. <laughs> oh, and what entertainment it was. What, what are your earliest memories of trad climbing in, in Pembrokeshire? The sea cliffs feel really wild. You know, a lot of the UK is quite... Say you live in London and you never go outdoors, you probably think of British countryside as being wild, but it's not. It's it's very... Oh, what's the word? Tame. Is it quite tame? Tamed, yeah. Yeah. Agriculture has changed the land massively. Whereas on the sea cliffs, humans can't use that place for anything, right? So when you abseil down into the cliffs, you're suddenly like transported to this other world and you can't see anymore that's the cool thing about sea cliffs is that you only can then see the sea you can't see where you've come from and it's really committing because you go down and you have to climb up to get back out and if you can't climb up you're stuck what do you do <laughs> swim out try to traverse along it can feel really adventurous probably one of the most adventurous things you can do in Wales and England I would say it's funny when I look back there's moments where I was probably too scared when I probably (laughs) didn't have the resources to deal with it but then there was a lot of times that were just really wonderful as well I'm just so grateful that I stuck with climbing because for me climbing's become my whole life and it's really given me a lot Oh, you paint a wonderful picture of it. I mean, did you feel quite hooked in those early years? Did it just seem very natural that as a teenager you went on to compete? I think actually you were British junior champion six times. Did that just feel something that you needed? You needed that sense of adrenaline and adventure and fun, even from a young age? Yeah, I did take to it. It's weird because I think when you're young... You don't necessarily reflect on whether what you're doing is something you actually choose. You just kind of do the things that your parents tell you to do, I suppose. (laughs) But then when I became a teenager, and I did the competitions from the age of seven, 
And then I think when I became a teenager and I got to the sort of age of 16 or something, I was like, oh yeah, outdoor climbing is really more for me because the competitions are all indoors. So oh, to train for them, yeah, yeah, then you have to climb indoors all the time. And my dad was definitely more of an outdoor climber. And that's kind of what I was really hooked on, to be honest, is not just the movement of climbing, but also spending time in nature. Tell me a bit about the movement of climbing. I found a quote from you. The phrase that you said, I think, on one of your posts was, the body makes a symphony on the wall and that some people can notice that the instrument is slightly out of tune. And that really resonated with me. Just explain what you mean by that. Climbing's really complex. It's such a cool sport. I'm I'm kind of always shocked that it's not like a bigger sport. It's still a niche sport. It's changing, but running, swimming and climbing are kind of natural activities right like when we were cavemen we would have done those things and our bodies naturally kind of know how to climb um to a point but when climbing gets really difficult and you only have a certain number of holds on a piece of rock you have to be really creative about how you get between those holds right and how you use your feet the best of your ability because your legs are so much stronger than your arms and how you shift your weight and that kind of thing and it's really really technical there's a lot of problem solving to it it's kind of like doing gymnastics but instead of making up your own routine the rock chooses the routine for you so it's really cool from a movement perspective and it can feel kind of like a dance and you can feel really in flow when you're on the wall and just how sort of like a dance teacher would be able to pick out the mistakes that two dancers might make. A bit like, what's that TV show? Strictly Come Dancing, you know, (laughs) they can pick out the errors in someone's performance. It's a bit like that with climbing. Like when you become an expert climber, you can see that someone's not done something as efficiently as they could do. And that's what being a really good climber is all about, is climbing in the most efficient way possible. I've played around on a climbing wall before. And apart from the fact that it just think it'd be a really good exercise for me, I like the fact that you have to use your mind, even just on a small local climbing wall. But I am afraid of falling. And I'm not afraid of much in life, but I tell you what I'm afraid of now. It'd be like going riding and being worried about falling off. I worry about injury. I worry that I'm going to get to the top and then fall backwards and hurt my back. How do you overcome that kind of fear if you're just a beginner climber? That's a really good question. And I think it's something that people miss a lot. Because I think that so, so much of the sport is defined by people who are already good. And they forget that some people might come to the sport maybe with less of an athletic background or having never jumped off something before and how scary that can be. A lot of what we do is teaching someone how to do that. And really, you've got to just break it down and do a lot of practice. So it might not be that you jump off from the top of the wall for months into your climbing and that you climb down first. And you have to build the skills and the strength in the legs before you can do that. But you say you might practice falling from just like a foot off the mats and then higher and higher like that. It sounds really simple, but there's quite a lot there in terms of tuning into your own self-awareness so that you know that you're getting the challenge level right. And I think that's kind of what people miss is they try to push through too soon. And if you try to fall off and land when you're really stressed, you can hurt yourself because when you're stressed, there's more body tension and you don't land in this relaxed way that's safer. In all your climbs, Hazel, have there ever been any particularly frightening times or 
scary times when you thought, actually, I don't quite know where I'm going with this or being frightened that you might have an accident. You mentioned it's probably not as dangerous as some people think, but nevertheless, you are often a tiny figure on a sheer wall. And I'm just wondering if you've had any points in your career where you thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to get out of this one? Or being frightened? Yeah, no, there's definitely had times for sure where I've been worried. I mean, the last expedition to Greenland, the rock was really loose. And so there was part of me that was like, is this actually a wall that I want to climb? I've never felt so unsure that I've thought, oh, I just don't like climbing anymore. Because the thing that's cool about climbing is that some climbing's really safe and some climbing's dangerous. So if you get a bit burnt out with the slightly more dangerous climbing, you can just switch to the safer climbing for a while, you know? It's like you really can pick your own adventure and choose your own challenge level in climbing, which I really like. You're at such an incredible level now. I think you said that many walls become characters in your mind and that you personify them. And I think you <laughs> described as one of those walls in Greenland as a monster at the time. Is that how you imagined the wall when you were climbing? Yeah, they end up having a kind of presence for sure, these walls. I guess, you know, if people live near a mountain, you might get that feeling as well. A mountain can have different faces and in certain lights it can look really friendly and in some lights it can look really foreboding and this wall especially was nearly always in the shade because it was northeast facing or something so it always looked quite menacing and intimidating. I suppose they become characters in a way don't they and you're right that different lights I climbed, not climbing like you, but hiked in the Atlas Mountains and went up to the top twice, actually, of Mount Tupcal, which isn't the kind of climbing you do, but hiking, climbing. And when we set off at four o'clock in the morning, it was mysterious and dark and you could see cloud that looked like cigar smoke swirling and once was in the winter and it was icy and cold and then once was in the summer and the mountain looked completely different in different lights and everything, all very exciting. Now, you were the first... British woman, just one of your many firsts to climb a trad route at E9. Now, just tell me what E9 is, because I was looking at E9 thinking that was going to be a mountain. That isn't, is it? Is That's a style of climbing and a level, isn't it, of climbing? This is the other intuition that people have. They think that difficulty of climbing can be measured in two ways, either the height of the climb or how quick you climb it. And in reality, we as climbers don't measure it in either of those ways. (laughs) Like bigger things adds an element of difficulty, right? That you just have to climb more of something. But there's really tall things that I just know I could climb really easily. And there's boulders that are literally like six feet tall that I know I'll probably never be able to climb. Wow. So it's all about how to ascend the wall. It's usually based on like how steep the rock is. Like the steeper it is, the more you're on your arms, the stronger you have to be. How far apart are the holds? Some climbs have holds that are like five feet apart and there's nothing in between those two holds. And I'm like five foot two. So like, can you imagine I have to like stretch between those holds? In many cases, the holds are very, very small. So you need very strong fingers to hold on to those holds. And there's some holds that I just can't hold on to or they face the wrong way. Perhaps they kind of face like this way instead of down. So the difficulty of a climb is mostly defined by the features on the wall. But in the case of the E9 rating, we have like a weird grade system in the UK where we also rate how dangerous a climb is. 
And that's a lot to do with the protection you can put. So you know how I described traditional climbing? Yep. You place your own protection. And it can be that a piece of wall is very blank. And even though there's handholds, there's nowhere to put those cams and nuts. So then you have to climb a long way above your last piece of protection, which means then you'll fall really far if you were to fall. And sometimes you fall so far that you might hit the ground. These kinds of climbs are very psychologically demanding and more dangerous than climbs with a lower E rating. That all makes sense. And just talking about those first, again, I said in the introduction that you were first British woman to free climb El Capitan in Yosemite, which I would imagine was extraordinary and very beautiful in one part of America, actually, that I've not been to. And you've actually done it four times. Just what's it look like? How beautiful is it? Yeah, Yosemite Valley is so beautiful. I recommend going to visit it even if you're not a climber. It's just amazing. And what's really interesting about Yosemite Valley is that most sheer rock faces that are that big are like in the Himalayas or in Greenland or places that are really remote. Whereas Yosemite Valley is a three-hour drive from San Francisco and it's not that far from the nearest town. And you can literally drive right up to the base of the wall and it's just a 10-15 minute hike from the road to literally touching the rock. They've got a meadow beneath the rock face and you literally are just staring right up at it and it's so impossibly big and so sheer, really polished white granite, so impressive. And then Half Dome, just further up the valley on the other side, is this beautiful dome that looks like it's been chopped right in half. And you can hike actually to the top of that. You would be able to hike up it. You don't need to have climbing skills or anything. So it's just such a magical place. If you're a climber, it's like a dream playground. If God knew what climbers liked and created the most ideal place to go climbing in, that's what he or she would have created. (laughs) Now we are early into the new year. What does this year hold for you, Hazel, climbing-wise? And also what's out there still that's on your radar that you think one day in the next few years, I'm definitely going to tackle that? I'm actually not the best at setting goals. I have some business goals for this year. I'm actually going to Yosemite in May, so I'm not exactly sure what I'll do there yet, but probably something really cool and fun hopefully and then my next expedition planned is I'd like to go to Chile to a place called Cochimo which has got some quite nice granite peaks that I'd like to climb. What about your business goals what goals have you got for Strong Mind? We're about to launch a Fear of Falling course really soon so I'm kind of focused on that right now and then I'd like to write a new course in flow and performance so how to help people perform better through flow and performance psychology. And are you not injured at the moment? Have have you healed from all your injuries over the last year or are you still convalescing before you head off? I have some finger issues still, but I can still climb. I don't need to completely rest, but I'm not able to like push myself as I'd like to. So that's also something I'm working on. I'm trying to heal my fingers. (laughs) And just a, a final thought, Hazel, What gives you the confidence to do what you do and what really drives you forward? Confidence is something that you get through action. A lot of people think that confidence is something that you can just cultivate by just deciding that you're confident or whatever, but you have to 
do things in the world and get positive feedback from them and then they build your confidence and if you're not getting that positive feedback it's probably because you aren't getting that challenge level right so it's really about picking appropriate challenges and trying them and even if you fail to succeed in an outcome saying what did you learn what can you take away how have you grown as a result and so you can still gain confidence from failure and then as for what drives me I think just I really like being challenged. I'm lucky in the sense that I'm very intrinsically motivated to seek out challenges. That's always been what's driven me and what I've found to be most interesting. So I imagine that will continue to drive me. <laughs> it sounds like you've always been seeking adventure and challenges since you're a little girl, actually. And wow, what achievements you've got under your belt. And it just sounds like such an incredible sport. I wish it's something I tried many, many years ago. I feel a bit old to, to start it Not now. That shouldn't I'm, put me off, should it? No, it shouldn't put you off, no. Because, you, you know, you don't have to be the world's best climber to enjoy it, you know. And if you want to stay fit and strong, going to an indoor bouldering wall where, you know, the climbs are short and you fall onto the mats that's going to be just as good for your body as going into the weights gym or something. But it's going to be so much more fun. I bet you'll have a better time than just going into the gym on your own with your headphones and just because <laughs> it's more cognitive, it's more interesting. So I really recommend it. And I do know people who've you know started climbing in their 60s and absolutely love it. So it's never too late to start. <laughs> it's been so nice to talk to you, Hazel. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the, the best of luck with Strong Mind. And I think you're right, even if the original intention was to help climbers. You've got some valuable life lessons to pass on in terms of confidence and fear of failure and determination and all the things that you're doing on your courses. I'm sure that you're giving a lot more than just improving people's experience out there. So well done with that and keep going. And I hope Yosemite is beautiful in May. I'm not jealous at all. She's it's <laughs> definitely jealous that you're going to Yosemite. That's definitely on my wish list. But yeah, I hope you have a really safe 2023, that your fingers are strong enough to do all the different things you want to do. And thank you as well for giving us access to some of your amazing photographs and footage, which we'll feature in our promo on socials. So thank you. Great. Thanks a lot. And maybe see you in a climbing wall one day hey listen there's an <laughs> yeah. invite I'll, i might take you off on that you've been listening to elite climber hazel findley giving us an insight into what drives her to scale some of the most challenging rock faces in the world and the mindset needed to conquer new undiscovered ascents don't forget to download and subscribe to our series at convex.podbean.com or search the convex conversation on spotify stitcher apple and google Podcasts, wherever you happen to listen to yours there are now more than a hundred episodes to choose from i'll be back next week with another great guest so do join me then